Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Ryan. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kind of for being part of the show. Welcome aboard E2247. How are that? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Aldoin, welcome aboard Alistair Waters, Montgomery County, Conroe. Uh, well, welcome aboard uh, Patrick Barron. Patrick Barron, where are you from? Let's see. Did you ever tell me? I think you told me you are in Nolan Ryan's place, maybe, uh, as in Alvin, Texas. Let me know if I'm right. Melanie Keelan, Barcelona, Spain. Yvette Avery Herod is in Atlanta, Georgia. Of course, we have Al Senor. Uh, who else is here? AVQ, which is in Brooklyn, New York. How are my peeps doing today? I see some. If you are on YouTube, please remember to give us that thumbs up. If you are on Facebook, give us that like. Let's get the system going. Bridge MCP, upstate New York. Eric Hayes, Atascacita slash Kingwood. How are you guys doing today? Lee Grant, Montgomery County. How are my peeps doing today? Today we have a, an interview that I played it on, on KPFT 94.1 FM with the candidate for Railroad Commission. But he has something that he has to tell us, which is pretty much, folks, uh, do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know? that Texas is sitting on a time bomb. Okay, Patrick Varon is from originally from New Hampshire, but, uh, well, rather, born in New Hampshire, but lives in North Fort Myers, Florida. Great to have you here, my friends. Well, I tell you what, without any further ado, since I don't see any specific narratives that I need to put out here right now, let's go ahead and get started about this story that you're going to hear uh, Bill Burch talk about is a story that can be replicated in Oklahoma, California, uh, uh, Mississippi, and anywhere that there are there's drilling for oil. I want you to listen to this: Oklahoma, Arkansas, Colorado. I want you to listen to this: New Mexico, and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radomic. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us again. As you know, the railroad commissioner in the state of Texas does more than railroads. It does a lot. And we're going to talk to a special person that knows about that. He's running for railroad commissioner. Bill Birch's career experience in the energy industry has been marked by notable achievements and a commitment to responsible practices. He worked uh, his work at Deepwater Horizon Tragedy, where he played a crucial role in managing and mitigating the environmental impact of oil spills, showcases his expertise in crisis management and environmental restoration. Through his efforts, he effectively coordinated response efforts and minimized the damage caused by these incidents. The first-hand experience has given him a deep understanding of the importance of responsible energy practices and the need for strong regulation to protect the Texas environment for all Texans. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Bill Birch, how are you doing today? I am fabulous. Thank you, sir, for the invite. And uh, I truly appreciate the opportunity to come on and visit you for here from uh, 
Cameron County, Texas, down at the uh, Brownsville McAllen area. Well, it's interesting because you're out there uh, and you had a very good time with some other folks that are running uh, candidates as well. Tell us a little bit about that before we get into what we're doing. <laughs> Tell me the, yeah. what, what, what are you feeling in the field out there? So the primary, of course, uh, right now being a Democratic primary, there's lots of folks running and some races are really tight and contested. And some are, uh, you know, candidates that are looking for uh, extension of their term. Uh, we had a couple of congressional candidates here this evening. Uh, we also had a lot of sheriffs and people running for the various House district positions. Um, you know, it's it's always amazing being a statewide candidate and going to all 254 counties in the state of Texas to see all of the counties and all the process, you know, really, truly how the sausage is made from not only the state level, but even from the local levels. And uh, it's so amazing. Excuse Wait. me. So place like Cameron County, you know, is really remarkable because they're on the border. They deal with a lot of issues here in terms of uh, politics and a lot of issues with perception of things being on a border. And, you know, the community here was really active, which was, I think, my favorite part of the whole evening was the fact that there were so many candidates, but there was so many people that came out. You know, we go to a lot of these big events and we do, you know, we, we did one in Harris County the other night and uh, there was like 120 candidates and maybe 30 people that showed up. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and the candidates outgrossed the actual voting population. And yeah, it was good to hear everybody else and see everybody and see a lot of friends. But. It was really amazing tonight. Like tonight was really an opportunity for the general public to come in and meet and greet your elected officials and your state candidates who want to run and your local candidates. It was awesome. Well, I mean, that's going to be important because uh, you're running for the Railroad Commission as a Democrat. A very hard thing to do as a statewide candidate, not because. Texas is a red state, but because Texas is a non-voting state, so they're going. You're going to have to do not only you, but all our national candidates and the district candidates are going to have to work hard to really let the base know that there's a reason to come out and vote. And uh, later on in our discussion, we're going to talk about some reasons why we need competent leadership in the railroad uh, commission. But first of all, I think what our audience would like to know is tell me a little bit about. All that being a railroad commission, uh, leading the railroad commission, what is it all about in Texas? What do you do? What's the purpose of this? It's not just railroads. That's right. And it's actually probably the worst name agency in the state of Texas, besides probably being the worst run agency. Uh, the railroad commission realistically man does not manage the railroads. So it's a historic name since 1891. It's the oldest agency in the state of Texas. And it was created at the time by Mr. Hogg to basically provide regulation and oversight on how the rail railroad industry worked. It's evolved into because originally when we discovered oil and gas and we moved product via oil and gas, uh, in barrels, we moved it on the rail system. So the agency ended up taking over the commerce side of transportation. In 2005, the agency, the Texas Rail Commission gave all of the responsibilities for all of the railroad side of it to TxDOT. So we actually don't manage and have anything to do with the railroad industry. I didn't realize that. So TxDOT is actually handling the actual yes, rails now and the connectors. Yes, sir. Wow. 
Yeah, the rail commission has nothing to do with the actual railroad industry. It actually is only to do with the oil and gas industry and our legacy of our uranium mines and our lignite coal mines that we still have in the state of Texas. And so it also has, because of the oil and gas side, it also regulates the entire pipeline industry, of which we have 330,000 miles of pipelines installed in the state of Texas. Wow. But anyhow, so um, so in effect, you're managing minerals in this state, uh, hydrocarbons, and other yep. and uh, and otherwise and that is something that has yep. to be done it, it, well one would expect it to be done in an environmentally safe um region now you know this morning so, so my- let me throw in let me throw in one thing on that real quick because you're, you're yes. exactly spot on so <clears throat> that is the core issue of the fact that the name change needs to happen to really reflect what the agency is right so it's really the natural energy resources and the safe distribution to market via the pipeline systems. And one of the problems that we have is that the general public not knowing what it is gets away with the agency has a very low environmental standard stewardship bar, and it has gotten away with murder in essence for the fact that people actually don't really know what it does. And that is part of this huge problem with transparency with the Texas Railroad Commission. Is there any effort right now to rename the, uh, the, the agency? There has been two efforts that have happened in the last 10 years. Both have been shot down by Senator Tom Craddock, whose personal pet mission is to maintain the oldest agency's name um, as is. And uh, it really does need to evolve. The, the idea of keeping this obscure for the general public's purpose. And when I go, you know, you campaign and people say, well, what, what does a Texas Railroad Commissioner do? Their first assumption is exactly as the name says, oh, you must regulate the railroad industry. Yeah, no, we, we have nothing to do with the railroad industry. So this this really is something that does need to fundamentally change. And uh, it's well over, way overdue. Well, you know, one of the uh, reasons that I, that it is so important that we have, first of all, I, I'm glad to know that you're a petroleum engineer, I think. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer, so we can actually talk a little bit about the stuff that's happening in Stockton, not only in a way that our audience can understand, but also from a technical point of view, what the hell are we going to do about it? So let's go ahead and get started because um, there, you know, people may just look at this as another agency and not see the importance of having somebody that knows about the environment, and that knows the science of protecting the environment. And for the average Americans, average Texan out there, let's go to Stockton, uh, Texas, in the in the West Texas area, where uh, a whole lot of fracking occurred. And I imagine, uh, well, not only fracking, but uh, uh, some uh, wells that's been used. I think they call them injection wells to store old, uh, old, likely fracking fluid and all these other types mm-hmm. of. Um, liquids out there. What we are finding now is that it is starting to pollute several ranches and areas in this uh, part of town. Tell me a little about what would you do about these types of problems? So you're exactly right. So, you know, what people don't realize, again, because of lack of transparency, the Texas Railroad Commission, the industry has an awful record of spills, blowouts, fatalities, injuries that occurs. And one of them in particular that really did not get a lot of media coverage uh, initially until a little bit later on was what happened in June of 2021 when the first zombie well, the well that was old, plugged, thought to be put away correctly, we shouldn't have to redeal with it and, and uh, shouldn't be flowing again, came back to life. And it was flowing this radioactive, toxic, uh, produced water at surface and flowing into the groundwater. Uh, 
Um, what's remarkable about this and what people I think, uh, where was this? This was actually just outside of Monahans, Texas. So okay. kind of I 20, a little bit West of Odessa. Gotcha. So what was really interesting about, um, oil and gas production when we go back, let's say 60 years ago, the railroad commission never really witnessed didn't verify, didn't validate any of the old wells when they were plugged. And it's not that that was a hidden secret in the oil and gas industry. I mean, we've known about this problem for a long time, but what's happened is that as we've gone into these new shale wells that we've drilled and developed, uh, especially in the Permian for every barrel of oil that comes out of the ground, we get six to seven, eight, nine, ten barrels of water that comes with it. And remember there's 42 gallons per barrel. Mm-hmm. So we get this massive volume of water in our daily production. Well, as we've drilled more and more, This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com and more shale oil wells, and we've increased the production of oil out of the Permian, we've also increased the rate of water. And this water, unfortunately, unlike the traditional wells where we put the water back into the same reservoir we took it out of, think of it kind of like a balloon. I take a little bit of oil out and then I put the water back in and then I have to add up a little bit more water to get back to my original condition. This stuff I can't re-inject back into the same zone I produce from. So I have to find someplace else to put the water. Well, we filled up everything we basically have. So we drilled more wells and we put more water in the ground and we drilled more wells and we put more water ground. We are now handling in the state of Texas, 24 million barrels of toxic radioactive isotope water a day. And what's ironic about this problem is that New Mexico solved their problem by shipping it to Texas. Oklahoma has solved some of their problem by shipping it to Texas. And Louisiana is now dumping their problem in East Texas. So we are also now becoming the toxic dumping grounds for three other states uh, in terms of how they're trying to manage their problems. So we have gotten to a point now where everything is so full we've started to overpressurize things and now it's created this zombie well problem. So let me let me where, ask you this now from an engineering standpoint when sure. you are when you create an injection well in other words you didn't take any oil out of there you just drill very very deep into the rock and expect that oil to be into some porous layer of the rock i imagine and the only mm-hmm. way that can occur is for there uh, unless there are some interstitials there is for there to be actual uh pressurized uh, I imagine to pressurize it to, to, to in effect, in, institute some sort of a fracking within the uh, the, the the substructure. Isn't so that they're supposed danger? to? 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so they're, they're supposed to maintain that the injection pressure is less than the ability to break the rock on these injection wells. They're supposed to. Right. And that's also part of the problem is that a lot of operators um, don't really have very good operating practices and standards. And the Railroad Commission, of course, being gr- grossly understaffed, um, people are basically left to self-regulate. So what they report versus what they actually do oftentimes don't really match the reality. The, the idea that the industry can be self-regulated um, with no oversight is not a benefit to anybody in the industry or the reputation or the long-term environmental impacts. And now we're starting to see the consequence. So the old problem from 1950, 1960 hadn't gone away. We had all these old wells, poorly plugged, poorly constructed, lots of different leak paths, lots of different corrosion. Um, again, long time in the earth as well. Then all of a sudden we created this water problem over the last decade, which now the water is trying to find passive lease resistance any way it can. Well, the most likely path of least resistance is the shallower zones, well, well, yeah. which means which means now it's coming out of surface, it's flowing into the groundwater. And for the longest time, the Railroad Commission has been in full denial of the risk and the issues of it, saying that, well, this isn't our problem. You know, it's these these are you know, this, these are over-concerned citizens who are making a mountain out of an anthill. And the reality is now that we have our first proven groundwater contamination case that occurred on December 7th of 2023 in Crane County. Um, the Railroad is Commission that near Stockton? Along. Yeah, so it's a little bit north of Fort Stockton. It's, uh, it's just outside a place called Grand Falls, Texas. Right. Um, and it's just off of FM 329. It broached to surface. It's flowing through the groundwater from 600 feet to surface. And it's going through three different zones of freshwater, uh, permanently destroying the freshwater. So let me and ask you, are you there's no that, fix. That freshwater is in layers or is it one? There's whole? three layers. Well, there's three oh, layers. Three there's, layers of there's freshwater. This, there's the surface layer called the... the Pecos Fluvium uh, uh, Valley Alluvium PBA. That's kind of the leached water. When it rains, it kind of settles right. into the ground. That exists like 50, 60, 70 feet deep to maybe 100 foot deep tops. Mm-hmm. And then below that, there's a contained layer, 250 feet to maybe like 280 feet. And it's called the Santa Rosa. Some geologists have different names for it, but this is water. zone. That's where most people, most of the ranchers drill their water wells into, and they pull from that reservoir, that aquifer for their fresh water uses. And then the deeper one is the one that we've identified. It's called the Rustler. It's the future of our groundwater. Now, it's slightly salty. It's not as fresh as uh, fresh water, but it's not as salty. We call it brackish water. Mm-hmm. It's not as salty as seawater, but it's not really totally usable today. But we've identified it in the 1960s, and it's a, a protected groundwater resource that we have to isolate and make sure to, it, it's there for future uses. Because you What's can actually the, reverse osmosis out, uh, the, the salts out of it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's the idea was even in the 60s that eventually desalinization will be used to maintain this water supply side for the future. So it's been identified. It's all over West Texas. Um, but the problem is that in this circumstance, not only is the rustler blowing out and getting this toxic radioactive isotope water into it. And again, we don't know how, we don't know where it's coming from. And there's a million wells literally in that area. We don't know uh, where the flow paths are actually truly coming from. And all the efforts to get the Railroad Commission to try to do the diagnostics, uh, they refuse to they refuse to uh, do any diagnostic work and try to do any determinations. Um, and, and how the Railroad Commission dealt with this problem is that when the first drone was flown over the location, actually seeing the size and extent of the spill, the flow at surface, they called the FAA and filed a no-fly zone to prevent any public exposure further on this issue. 
And they've extended this now till June 8th of 2024 um, to try to maintain, quote, quote, the risk for aviation flight. But there's no risk. It's flowing toxic radioactive water at surface through the groundwater. There is no hydrocarbon. The groundwater is not shooting 3,000 feet into the air and potential impact to an airplane, right? This is legitimately the government agency trying to prevent public disclosure of the issues on the actual incident. And, you know, and this is the other thing is the emergency responder, right? So I I was part of the, as you said earlier, I was part of the emergency response for the Deepwater Horizon. I saw all the changes that happened after the Deepwater Horizon. And one of the things about it is that we have a national, we have a, what's called NIMS, the National Incident Management System. And NIMS is a federally compliant system that's supposed to be how you manage incident response, right? And you're supposed to have an incident commander and hierarchical structure and an organizational team and a logistics team and a finance team and an operational section team. And what's amazing to me is that the Rare Commission, the state of Texas is required for compliance to be NIMS compliant with the federal regulations. And yet the Texas Rail Commission doesn't give a damn about actually doing ICS or emergency incident management structure and systems um, based on our own federal standards. They're like, well, well, we do, we've always done it this way. Why do we have to comply with the federal rules and government? So if they were compliant and they were truly reporting this, we would all have an operational report every 24 hours, public disclosure of what's actually happening on the location, how much money they've spent and what's their next 24 hour operational plan. That's all part of the reason why we have an emergency response system for public disclosure. So people know the transparency of it. And yet here's our Texas Railroad Commission, the agency responsible for protecting the oil and gas community and also making sure that the general public is safe in operations, completely uh, refusing to be honest and transparent with the general public as to the severity of the incident. Bill, that, you know, it, it first of all, true. Now, there are two parts to this. We have the engineering part, which I love the most, which we just kind of talked yeah. about as what's going on. But unfortunately, most of those people in West Texas, most of the people yep. in Houston, most of the people in Fort Worth and all these places, all they're going to hear out of you is, you know, uh, we hate regulation and it needs to regulate. Now, I think uh, this what's occurring, the pictures that I can see right now that your dr the drone that uh, I don't remember the name of the woman's flying over mm -hmm. uh, over near Fort Stockton and all these places, it shows a disaster on top of the surface. Yes, More sir. importantly, it doesn't show the disaster beneath the surface and the explosion right. of having hundreds of thousands of families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Entry points, wells around West Texas that is there to pollute the entire mm -hmm. 
water system of every single person. And some of the um, the some of the news report we've heard of people having cancer, which likely said there. I mean, uh, there have been breaches, it, you know, mm-hmm. that we hadn't known about into the groundwater yep. for quite some time now. It seems to me, and and help me out here. How are you going to change the message in such a manner that you show that these regulations are for the safety of Texans, number one, will not destroy Texans financially, number two, and also will not destroy the economy at large? I mean, it seems to me like none of that should be mutually exclusive, but your your competitor will likely try to make it that way. How are you going to get around that? And how are you going to make it existential for Texans to elect you to save their lives? Yep. And that's that you're exactly right, because the traditional message is that every Democrat is anti-fossil fuel and that uh, you're only out to destroy the oil and gas community. And, you know, they they I have to admit, they've been somewhat successful on you know, not necessarily always having a candidate with a technical background and ability to counter their narrative. In this situation, the the needs of water is one of the true fundamental capacities. And anybody who lives in West Texas knows that water is not plentiful. And the water that we have there is is hard. It, it, it's difficult to access. It's limited supply. And the fact that we have now the proven cases of what it's going to take this is not fixable. This is not a cleanable situation. This is permanent destruction of our groundwater. To folks in East Texas, the folks in Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, even the Valley here, people understand the importance of water. Ranchers understand it. Farmers understand it. People want to be able to trust that their tap water that they turn on is clean enough for them to use. And, you know, in the case of Midland, which is, uh, you know, longtime oil and gas capital of West Texas, they just recently tested their groundwater supply side. And sure enough, lo and behold, there's now arsenic in the groundwater, right? So the reality of the health concerns of the citizens and the fact that I hate to say this, but the Republican administrations have have lowered the environmental stewardship bar so low in the essence that people, corporations can profit and they can maintain these extraordinarily low requirements for social responsibility of being good citizens to the citizens of Texas. We need to hold them accountable. And it's not about destroying the economy. It's about the future of our kids and our grandkids. And the ability to feed, you know, water cattle and be able to use this water for irrigation on our corn, or on our corn and our soy and our hay. The, the, the idea that groundwater, and again, look, I get it. People are, some people live in the city and they're like, well, I don't care where the water comes from. The city treats it. Yes. But not everybody in Texas lives on an urban water supply. And we have to respect the fact that our urban water supply has evaporation and we have to get makeup water and we have to continue to add water to our system from leaks and failed pipes and everything else. So the idea that our groundwater is being destroyed and, and, you know, look, the oil and gas industry did not intentionally cause the situation. The issue was caused because the Texas Railroad Commission failed to implement the laws and regulate the industry correctly. Now, should the industry have done more intentionally to try to prevent the situation from occurring? Sure. And some of the bigger operators who have a real social responsibility have done good jobs. The problem is that not everybody operates with the same standard and threshold. And 
this idea of lowering the bar lower and lower and lower so that smaller operators can somehow skirt their environmental responsibilities and responsibilities to their citizens is the wrong approach. <laughs> we need to increase the bar and then find ways for operators who can't financially support or make those requirements, give them loans and programs and incentives to be able to increase the quality of their operations. Th this idea that they, that we are going to destroy the fossil fuel industry in the state of Texas is ludicrous. We, we, our society would not exist without oil and the long chain hydrocarbons that makes the paints, the plastics, the pharmaceuticals. You know, can we decarbonize our residential and commercial infrastructure? Sure, absolutely. We can run wind and solar and geothermal and nuclear, uh, and we can we can decarbonize a lot of that. Can we decarbonize our transportation sector? Yeah, to a degree. I'm not particularly gonna looking forward to getting on an electric airplane. And I'm not sure my, you know, farm tractor back in Livingston is gonna work on a battery. Um, so you know, there may be some things like transportation and cars and personal transportation we can decarbonize, but I don't think it's realistic in terms of right now. And that might take maybe a century. You know, I was I didn't even want to take the conversation into that <laughs> no, because the railroad commission, that's not what it does. I mean, you are here to right. regulate minerals, et cetera. That's another right. discussion altogether with, with windmills and all of that, which I yep. support. But I want to yeah, also same. make sure that uh, uh, as, as long as we have a hydrocarbon industry, as long as we yes, have sir. a mineral industry, the person heading the department to ensure our safety is actually is on the job. So that's here, here is it, the most. So, so let me ask. Go ahead. Let me ask one. Let me just throw one other thing. So one of the things that people often don't understand here either is that the Texas Rare Commission is the ultimate authority on environmental control. The EPA has an MOU, a modus of a memorandum of understanding that basically secedes the vast majority of its power as a federal administration to the Texas Rural Commission. The Texas Rural Commission literally is the agency that manages the environmental standards in the state of Texas, with the exception of the, the Texas uh, TCEQ, right. which is our, uh, our commission to the quality of um, environmental measures. So TCEQ is our department that is supposed to maintain groundwater protection, air monitoring, and things like that. And it's also one of the most grossly underfunded agencies in the state of Texas. So ultimately, at the end of the day, the only in this, and especially in this case in Crane County that occurred outside of Fort Stockton, uh, what's really interesting is that when TCEQ should be in right now drilling monitoring wells and measuring the groundwater and looking at the aerial extent of how big is the problem and where's the outer flanks of it and what can they do potentially to start to put warnings or put <laughs> put processes in place to try to help homeowners and ranchers. You know what their answer was? We don't want to deal with this problem. We don't have the budget. We don't have the funding. Texas Rural Commission can take care of it. That is irresponsible, and that's not an acceptable answer. So let, let's go back to the politics again, Bill, because this is very important. My contention is that Democrats are very poor fighters. That Democrats, uh, in as much as they have the better policies, like you presented right here, mm -hmm. they don't know how to fight us. An example is that uh, we have de we have denied uh, Texans. Uh, health insurance that is available to them by the, by not accepting Medicare uh, the Medicare expansion to the Affordable Care Act, and in doing so, I think the reason that it's been successful for Republicans to do this so far is that they have not been appropriately called out. They have not been called out for actually getting 
Texans killed. I'm going to throw this right back to you now. When you start your campaign in the general election here in Texas, will you let it be known graphically that what the current administration, the current railroad commission is doing is actually affecting the deaths of Texans, the illnesses yes. of Texans graphically and let them know that it's existential that you be elected and not the person who cares nothing about solving the problem. Is that the bill? Uh, <laughs> is that the bill Birch that we are going to see on the campaign trail? Yes, sir. And you know, one of the things about being out in West Texas and having spent spent time out there in you know, East Texas, South Texas, uh, um, the reality is that some of the conditions in West Texas are the worst I've ever seen in the world. I, I did a blowout in the Nigeria Delta in the summer of 2022. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, the conditions in, in West Texas are as bad or if not worse than I saw in Nigeria. Out of sight. And that, out of sight, out of mind. And this mm-hmm. idea, if this was happening in downtown Houston, um, this would be a totally different discussion, right? If this was happening in Tanglewood, River Oaks, this would long have been fixed. Okay. The problem with the Railroad Commission and a lot of our rural communities, and especially our marginalized communities, is that the Texas Railroad Commission doesn't really give a damn. Now, here's, here's what was really interesting about the situation in West Texas. So, look, there's a big difference between somebody who's a rancher and a farmer. Okay. Ranchers are typically Republicans. Ranchers are typically huge cattle tracks. They're, they're, they don't own acres. They own sections, right? Right. And when you start talking about sections of ownership and it's like multiple counties of ownership, you go like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're not just a farmer. Um, you know, they're getting ignored. They, they, there are fights in South Texas. There are longstanding lawsuits in South Texas. There's fights in West Texas. There are some cattle ranchers in West Texas that own hundreds of thousands of acres literally with hundreds of wells on their property leaking, flowing into the groundwater, uh, dead cattle, sick cattle, um, you know, dead birds, environmental issues that surface with hydrogen sulfide, which is a fatal lethal gas um, and literally flowing at surface. And they can't get any response from the Texas Railroad Commission. The idea that literally the Texas Railroad Commission is completely a captive agency to a certain scale of operators, depending on their financial contributions to their political campaigns, it it doesn't even serve the ranchers. So I tell folks, you know, like I'm not taking PAC money. I haven't received any. I'm not actively soliciting it. My first campaign contribution came from a Republican West Texas rancher. Who's so fed up the fact that the Railroad Commission, as a Republican, doesn't even respect him? He's like, "Here's a check. I, do it your best. Anything I can do to support you to help get you elected. I'm sick of these idiots in Austin." The, the the idea, I think, in the success in this situation is that the environmental concern from everybody isn't just you know it, it, if you imagine you have two acres in East Texas and you've got an abandoned orphan well on your property, you know what's that risk? Is the Railroad Commission going to give a damn about you realistically when these guys out here in West Texas that are worth millions can't get any response from them either? It's it's really an agency that has failed every single Texan and even its fundamental principle, which was protection of the groundwater. And now literally we've got we've got destroyed groundwater. Um, it's it's hard. It's a hard to get people's heads wrapped around the importance of the Texas Railroad Commission because they say it's all oh, it's a down ballot race, uh, manages railroads. It's like, folks, you need to understand the future well, of Texas. <laughs> it really depends on this race. Bill, and that is the reason I'm saying 
are you going to go out there and let people know that it is existential? That is what I mean. Yes, I, I think that is one of the problems that we have as Democrats, and that is uh, Democrats don't go out there and fight the way they should. Uh, and and I, 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 you know, hey, you know all the material. I'm listening to you right now. You know the, you know the surface. You know the what's going on, the layer, the, the earth layer, and everything. Most Americans don't know that. Most Texans don't know that. But it can right. be expressed to them in a in a manner that they can understand that they should care about that. And I think you will do that. Uh, last question is, what would you have liked sure. me to ask you that I didn't ask you? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, well, I think the probably the biggest thing would be to understand uh, the size of the Railroad Commission. So I don't think people appreciate the fact that there's less than 100 railroad uh, commission inspectors to manage 400 plus drilling rigs, 1.2 million oil and gas wells that have been drilled, another two to 300, 400,000 wells. We don't know where they are and where they exist and 330,000 miles of pipeline. Wow. The agency doesn't even have something as simple as two regulators per county. Now, this is a good trick question for you. What's the only county in the state of Texas that doesn't have oil and gas wells? Don't know. There's only one. Which one? El Paso. Are you El Paso? El Paso? El Paso has never had an oil and gas well that we've ever been able to prove or find in the archives. Not, wow. not to say that maybe that maybe has one been drilled, but there's we actually have never found a record of any oil and gas well ever drilled in El Paso. County. Wow. It's only one. 253 of the 254 counties in the state of Texas have oil and gas wells. We have somewhere around 1.5 million wells, including the Corpus Christi area. We, unlike the nuclear fuel rod industry, our problems every century double. 50% of the wells we have surveyed over 25 years old are in a state of failure and flowing. And 80% of the wells over 50 years old are currently in a state of failure flowing. This problem isn't just about solving it for today and out of sight, out of mind. The Railroad Commission loves commenting about how, look, we built a shopping mall over top of these old abandoned wells. Great. I can't wait to have to get a drilling rig into that shopping mall and figure out where that well is and re-enter it. Oh, wow. And the worst part is that we're building subdivisions now. The Friendswood subdivision outside of Houston is an old oil and gas field. It was a contaminated oil and gas field with abandoned wells on it. And we've built homes over top of it. So, you know, when you tell people what's the risk, the risk is the fact that you don't even know in your deed that there's an oil and gas well that literally sits under your house. And now you've got the risk until, and unfortunately, until we see it at surface. So by the time it actually is migrated through your groundwater, it's leaked natural gas or oil to surface. We don't know that the problem exists. Wow. So this problem isn't about solving it even for just for today. This is about how we're going to set up a process to manage this for 500 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years. These are holes in the ground we're going to have to monitor, maintain, and manage for millennium. And the problem in our industry is that this whole notion, out of sight, out of mind, cut off the wellhead six feet below ground, backfill it with a bunch of dirt, and walk away from it, you never have to worry about it again, was a lie. It was a fundamental lie by the oil and gas industry. And even I, as a professional, for the first half of my career, believed it. I was like, yeah, well, the wall's plugged. Like, what's ever going to cause it to come back to life? But in 21, in, in June of 2021, when we saw the first zombie wells, my entire perception changed. And now that I see the impact of what this really looks like for my daughter and my grandkids and my great grandkids, this is a toxic legacy that we are going to have to double check and triple check and continue to monitor and make sure that these wells aren't leaking methane. These wells aren't flowing into the groundwater, that these, these wells aren't a long-term risk. This is a massive 
massive problem. And Texas is the epicenter, literally, of ground zero of where we're at in this industry. And, and to put this in a number perspective, this is probably a half a trillion dollars already of liability. So when folks say, like, who's going to pay for it? Well, that's us. At the end of the day, this privatized profiteering for socialized cleanup cost is going to be passed to the taxpayer. Unless we mean find ways to be able to keep the industry in its in working condition and continue to pay for the legacy. Otherwise, this is going to get passed all to us to clean up the toxic legacy of oil and gas. And that's an unfortunate reality of where we really exist today. How can uh, our audience find your website? It's Birch, B-U-R-C-H, for the number four, T-R-R-C.com. Uh, you can also get me on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, TikTok. I struggle a little bit with TikTok, to be perfectly honest. Instagram. Uh, I got told the other day, you got Facebook, oh, you're old. I'm like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to die. Um, and I am LinkedIn as well. If you're more on the professional side, the conversations are a lot more technical on LinkedIn. But uh, I, I seriously, I, I, you know, I am committed to this. This is about educating the Texas public of the real risk. I'm a real oil and gas guy. I've seen what politics has done to our industry. And my biggest concern is the legacy we're leaving, how we need to address it. It's not about removing the industry. This is about doing a better job in the industry. And uh, the oil and gas community knows that we need to do better. We know we can do better. And uh, it starts with having a regulatory agency that actually enforces the rules. We don't need to change the rules. We just need to enforce them now and see and confirm are our rules sufficient once we've actually got enforcement. Bill Birch for Texas Railroad Commissioner. Thank you so kindly for having been. Thank you, sir. Right. Well, thank you. I appreciate the invite. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, help teach and educate your audience about the Texas Road Commission. Remember, it's number four on your ballot um, because it'll be the president. It'll be the U.S. Senate race. It'll be your local 38 congressional districts race. And Texas Road Commission is the only executive branch race in the state of Texas in 2024. And legitimately, folks, this is the race that's going to decide the future of the long term state of Texas. We're either going to have a happy and a joyous and prosperous society with good environmental standards, or we're going to turn the state into a toxic Superfund site. This is the race that's going to determine that. That's how critically this is to everybody. I mean, it's not rocket science at all, is it? Uh, you know, for those people who are because this guy's a Democrat. Oh, no. again, uh, you've been under the governance for over 30 years now of a criminal sect that pretty much, uh, well, I should say 20 something years near near 30 years that has been so lax in regulations that they have polluted the groundwater of the ranchers in West Texas, the farmers in West Texas. And the truth of the matter is eventually, a lot of that water used for irrigation uh, will be useless because if they have uh, uh, MBT or any one of these chemicals, that you can't grow vegetables and all of that with it. So here it is, uh, you, you know, think about it. Uh, we have allowed, there are over 1 million, 1.5 million wells in Texas, many of them which are currently leaking because, again, of lax regulation. Now, who, who pays the price? Not the corporations who made a ton of money from, uh, the, uh, from doing what they did. You do. You're going to pay the price for not being able to grow your products. 
you're going to pay the price for having infected animal cows, etc. You know, for those people who like to say, we don't want no regulations. Well, you know, Texas is a good, good, good example of what happens. A perfect example of what happens. Anyway, the second subject of the day is did stock buybacks knock the volts out of Boeing? You know, I want to read this article. This is an important article because it's more important than people think. Because there is Boeing is a great company, great engineers, great, uh, great technicians. All these people are great. But when the capital class sees a corporation, not for its greatness or for the products that it makes, but as a financial instrument to enrich a few, ultimately, who suffers? The people in those planes that crash? And, uh, you know, you may say, well, if it crashes and things go awry, just maybe they, the airline can go bankrupt after all that money has been extracted by the CEOs, corporations, and shareholders. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, but here it goes. On January 5th, a door plug blew out of the side of Boeing 737 MAX 9 plane flying for Alaska Airlines from Portland, Oregon to Ontario, California. A door plug is a section of the plane's fuselage vaulted into uh, take the place of an optional emergency exit. It is meant to be an integral part of the plane's body. Miraculously, during the 20 minutes it took for the plane to circle back and land, no one was sucked out of the gaping hole. But for two decades leading up to the incident, wealth has been sucked out of the company via legalized stock manipulation to benefit Wall Street and Boeing CEOs. Since 2013, the Boeing Corporation initiated seven annual stock buybacks. Much of Boeing's stock is owned by large investment firms, which demand the company buy back its shares. When Boeing makes repurchases, the price of the stocks is jacked up, which is a quick and easy way to move money into investment firms' purses. In other words, you are extracting the wealth out of the company. You're not investing into new equipment. You're not investing into new technologies. When Boeing makes Repurposes its jacked up. Boeing's management also enjoys the boost in price since nearly all of their executive compensation comes from stock incentives. When the stock goes up via repurchases, they get richer, even though Boeing isn't making any money. Again, this has nothing to do with the company. The company is just the cog, the widget that's being used to enrich a few. All right. As a result, Boeing has two missions. One, produce profitable and safe products for their airplane buying customers. And two, produce stock buybacks for Wall Street and CEOs. Unfortunately, the rest of us, these missions are in conflict. Finding the money for stock repurchases inevitably leads to cost cutting. Most often, the first move is to lay off as many workers as possible. But other more subtle strategies include cutbacks in preventive maintenance, like what happened to that door, and environmental controls, the outsourcing of work to lower wages firms. In other words, they, they'd send your work to third-party companies who have lower pay scales, 
give people slave labor to make the same part. The goal is to become lean and mean, skating out to the very edge of cost reduction without jeopardizing the product, or well, at least not harming it too much. You'd think that Boeing would not compromise safety. You would think. Uh, the, it wouldn't compromise, given the one small pro- production error or s- software glitch could down a plane worth hundreds of millions of dollars while killing hundreds of people in one blow. But you'd be wrong. Boeing is a world leader in stock buybacks. Between 1998 and 2018, the plane manufacturer also manufactured a whopping $61 billion in stock buybacks, amounting to 81.8% of profits. And it, at its dividends and Boeing shareholders received 121% of its profits. Here's what that means. You're, if you are getting 121% of its profits, it means you are bleeding. You are bleeding the company. 100% of the profit says, okay, all the profits we make goes to the shareholders, uh, etc. But if you're getting 121% of the profits, that means you are actually going into capital. You're going, you are actually going into capital or loans. Yes. Shameful. Shameful. All right. How, how much is, is that really? Well, according to Lazanik and Mustafa Erdem Skankdik, writing in the American Prospect in 2019, Boeing facing the obsolescence of its 737 planes could have created an entirely new airplane from scratch with fully modern technology if they didn't pay out all that money. Instead, the company decided to re-engineer the older model, name it the 737 MAX, and save $7 billion. Perhaps not coincidentally, the $7 billion saved is the amount of the stock buybacks Boeing made each year between 2013 and 2019. Rather than reinvest more deeply into the company's products, Boeing chose to pay off stockholders and Boeing executives. In the three years before Boeing software glitches caused two 737 MAX crashes in 2018 and 2019 that killed 346 people, Boeing CEO Dennis A. Muhlenberg received $95.9 million in gross pay. Lasanik and Sacknick report that nearly all of it was via stock incentives, since his, his sal, annual salary never exceeded $1.7 million. Perhaps again, not coincidentally, a Texas court ruled in October 2022 that the passengers killed in two 737 MAX crashes are legally considered crime victims. And just to make sure that stock buyback production would always be a top CEO priority, Boeing announced that the beginning in 2014, a significant portion of our named executive officer's long-term incentive compensation will be tied to Boeing's total shareholder return as part of a group of 24 companies. If shareholder return is a metric used to judge executive performance, Stock buybacks become an executive's most valued tool. What CEO could possibly resist pushing stock buybacks, given that nearly all of his or her income 
is based on stock incentives. Of course, every CEO, especially in the airline industry, will say that safety is their top priority. If pressed about stock incentives, they say there is no conflict between stock buybacks. Really? If uh, they say that the door plug blowout had nothing at all to do with years and years of massive uh, stock buybacks, then of course, when they they grounded the uh, the the two seven thirty seven nine, they found a lot of other planes with bolts missing and all of that. What does that say again? Poor quality control. And when you have poor quality control, what's cause of that? Lack of investment into training people, having the right kind of people on the job, having the well-paid people on the job. You guys can finish reading that article. It's in my newsletter, uh, politicsunright.com slash newsletter and check it out. Um, folks, But we, we got to get better than this. Anyway, let me jump to this. Uh, I have not. Let's see. Egberto, the pilot, a woman has praised for how she handled it. Uh, everyone calm and she was calm. They even had to ask her, are you declaring an ER emergency? She said, yes. Her calmness made the crew calm. Hence the people. I tell you, proud of her. Uh, Paul Fleming says, politicians in the pocket of special interests have allowed corporations to deceive Americans for too long. Whether it's big tax uh, prep, big pharma, or greedy health insurers, Washington must hold companies accountable for misleading advertising and hurting customers. You see, though, when we have apologies for these companies, though, it becomes more difficult because you have to first fight the apologies and then you can go ahead and fight the rest. It is just an ever an ever extending battle over and over and over again. But you know what? We have a lot of good people out there that are doing their job. And we admire those who are doing their job. Very, very, very important, folks. Very important. Anyway, we're coming close to the end of the program. And I want to invite all my peeps to please go ahead and support the program however you can. Uh, please go to politicsandright.com slash support. politicsandright.com slash support. And choose any of many ways to support our program. We need your support to keep doing what we do. Alternatively, you can go to politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Subscribe to our newsletter. It's free. Everybody can subscribe to our newsletter free of charge. However, I want to ask that you consider being a paid subscriber, your choice. It's like saying, I want to buy Politics Unright one coffee a month. And if we can get enough people doing that for this election season and beyond, I can get some help with all the videos and, 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 sh and, and shorts and reels that, that I have to come up with so that we can promote the message. I'm a member of a new organization, a progressive organization that um, some young folks are putting together and I'm sort of like the, the older person kind of just taking their lead and giving my, my advice, but making sure that they're leading. And there's a lot that we're doing or a lot that's intended to be done to really get our message out. But to do all of that, we do need your support. So I ask you so kindly, consider giving a super chat, consider giving a, a, a uh, subscribing, being a paid subscriber of our newsletter at politicsandright.com slash newsletter. 
or go ahead and uh, go to politicsandright.com slash support and become a supporter in whatever form you can. We simply cannot do this without you. Anyway, folks, I'm going to get out of here a couple of minutes early. Got a whole lot of work to do, uh, videos to process. And so uh, please go ahead and support us however you can. My name is, uh, first of all, I want to thank you all for coming. I want to thank you all for your messages. Kingwood Ready and Security Alliance, how are you doing? I don't think I saluted you or Mike CSAC or E2247 or May Wood or Tom is back. Hey, Tom, how are you doing, my brother? Great to have you back. You're away for two weeks in Florida, huh? Uh, did you have a little chat with DeSantis? Uh, well, he wasn't in Florida. He was losing. He was too busy losing in Iowa. Paul Fleming from Atlanta. Welcome aboard, brother. Anyway, got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.